Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13 is where we're going to be. You want to say hello to the uh, Biltmore Church uh, around uh, the great 828. Uh, we're one church distributed in a number of different places. And so whether you're in Franklin or whether you're in East Asheville or whether you're in Hendersonville or whether you're watching online or whether you're on the, at the Buncombe County uh, Correctional Center, wherever you are, thank you for uh, joining us. And so uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we talk about all the time is uh, just what we are here for. We're here to make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. And in this year of the Bible, um, what we're doing is we walk through the year of the Bible, uh, we are in the last week of Jesus's life. And um, the last week of Jesus' life, everything slows down. It it's almost goes into uh, slow motion. And what you see is you see the crucifixion, uh, you see the burial, you see the resurrection. And then you see uh, before he ascends into heaven, he commissions his followers to go and uh, make disciples. And a couple things about that. Number one, uh, thank you for being a church who pours into the next generation. And I want to say specifically, thank you to the adult of volunteers as well as the student staff at all the different locations uh, for this past week. If you see them dozing off, give them some grace because they have been up for about a week straight. But um, a lot of great stories that we'll be hearing in the weeks ahead. Probably the most astounding thing is that, and I didn't get the final number as far as it, we look at a number of different things, but there were, at last counting, it was Thursday evening, 47 young men and women were called to ministry. 40, called to ministry. All right, so there's the right now, there's the now, and there's the not yet. And so the now is fun, but the not yet, the years ahead, as you and I disciple the next generation, they in turn reverse disciple us as well. All right, so uh, moms and dads, I know a couple of you all are probably freaking out that your son or your daughter, uh, you had dreams for them. You thought they were going to be a doctor this or a lawyer this or a plumber this or whatever, and now they're talking about going to Ecuador, they're talking about being a preacher, and you're freaked out. It's all right. This message is for you today as well. And so, hey, great job on that. And then secondly, uh, we also talk about, you know, the gospel is not what we do for other people, but it is a demonstration of what God has done for us, all right? The gospel is actually the event that Jesus paid for our sin debt, and he served us that way. And one of the ways we not just declare, but we also demonstrate is uh, actually happening right now called Biltmore Church Left Schools. There's not a person at any campus that cannot play a role. Sometimes when you look at the width of need that is out there in uh, the four counties that we try to serve, oftentimes it's almost overwhelming. And we can oftentimes just go back and it's like, I, I, I can't help everybody. And that's true. But one of the things we say over and over again, just because you can't help everybody doesn't mean you can't help somebody. And so my challenge to you is help somebody. Help somebody that is in need as we about to start the school year. And an easy way to do it, you can just go to the website, backslash uh, schools. And even if you're in a connect group and you're like, man, I don't, have any, I don't have anything to give. I mean, connect groups, sponsor a couple of backpacks full of supplies for some kids in need. All right? All right. John 13 is where we are. And uh, here's, we're not going to be in the spot that some of, you, uh, some of you Bible scholars think we're going to be in when you turn to John 13. Uh, and let me kind of start off with a little bit of something a, a little bit on the dark side because that actually is somewhat what the passage is today. One of the craziest phenomenons in our culture right now is an infatuation and an, an incredible interest in some very, very bad people, namely a serial killers. If you just, if all you do is take the prism of Netflix and see all of the docudramas or documentaries over all the different serial killers 
just, go, just that they're talking about right now. You could watch one every day this week looking back at one of these serial killers, whether it be Charles Manson, David Berkowitz, Henry Lee Lucas, the Long Island serial killer, whoever it is, the one that garners the most attention, though, tends to be Ted Bundy. The, the one out now on Ted Bundy is, is played by the actor Zac Efron. I got to admit, I mean, Zac Efron, he's a good-looking dude. I'm just going to say that in the most masculine way possible. That's a good-looking guy. And the reason they picked that guy to play Ted Bundy is because Ted Bundy, by all accounts, was your typical all-American, outwardly handsome, everything-together, drop-your-guard-around-him type of person. As a matter of fact, the investigators that say a lot of times the victims would drop their guard because of how unassuming he was. I mean, he's, he's handsome, he's all-American, he's nice, but all the stuff that was on the outside, all the stuff that looked in order on the outside, on the inside, there was, because they think serial killer, they think crazy looking, they think Charles Manson, they think swastika on the forehead, but he did not look anything like that at all. But on the inside, inside was messed messed up. The reason I say that is we're going to look at a guy today in the scriptures that undoubtedly is the most infamous character in the whole Bible. He's the guy that you, you think of and it's like that is synonymous with evil. That's synonymous with betrayal. It's the worst thing any human being has ever done. He betrays the son of God with a kiss. And far from being this obvious picture, sinister-looking, squinty eyes, I'm just going to go around and cloak over. It's not that at all. As a matter of fact, you're going to see he was the treasure, so that was like, we trust him. You don't put the sinister guy in charge of the money. And so uh, Dante, some of you all have to read Dante in school. Dante had that one called uh, uh, Divine Comedy, and it's an allegory on the levels of uh, afterlife, and the first one is like, I think, called Inferno. And Dante actually goes and he describes Inferno, and the Inferno and hell was like all these different levels, and he said, he's got these three levels, and he's like, there's the three worst human beings of all time. They are on like the inner, inner, inner level, and who's number one? Who's in the number one seat? He said, you know what, this is the one that the, again, this is crazy, this is Dante, but he's like, the, the devil was taking Judas Iscariot and it stripped him and was in the middle of eating him. So what I'm saying is, even Jesus Christ said this, it would have been better if he actually had never been born. Now, the, what's interesting is there's actually eight different characters in the New Testament called Judas. How bad would that have been to be one of the other seven? I mean, how bad would that have been? What's your name? I'm Judas. Oh, I've heard about you. I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that Judas. Anybody in here ever, if you're a parent, when you found out you were pregnant, did you ever consider, we're having a boy. What should we name him? Scooter. No. Never consider Judas. Why? Because Judas is synonymous with a traitor, betrayal, and wickedness. Now, I want to just kind of lay something down that the text brings out as we go through this. There is some Judas in all of us. There is some Judas in all of us. What we see Judas do in living color 
we oftentimes do as well. The seeds in the heart of Judas are also planted in our hearts as well. The fact that Judas actually never recovers and another famous character in the same story does recover actually says all we need to know about whether we understand the gospel to begin with. So here's the context, and I'm going to read the passage. The context is in, as I said, it's the last week of Jesus' life. They're in an upper room. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. They are having the Passover meal that would kind of transition into what we know as the Lord's Supper. He's teaching them all these different kinds of things. He has just finished washing their feet, including Judas's. And here's the way the text goes in verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. That's a pretty key part. One of the other gospel writers in the gospels have great harmony. They all talk about this scene, all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the other ones didn't just say they were uncertain. They're looking. It's like, is it I? Is it I? In other words, they lack confidence that they also were not the one that he was referring to. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Uh, that is the, that's John who's writing that, and that's not a cocky statement like, I'm the one Jesus loved. It was the idea that John actually never got over the fact that God loved him. And actually, I don't ever want to get over that fact. I hope you don't ever want to get over the fact that, you know what? God loves me. I'm the one. I, God loves me. But he says he's reclining at tables. So get Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper out of your mind, all right? They're not sitting in high back chairs. They're not sitting. They're actually leaning on their elbow up against one another, their feet going this way, which is kind of near somebody else's food, which is why super important to wash your feet in that day and time. And so here's what happened. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So again, Peter looks at John and is like, hey, who's he talking about? Ask him, ask him, ask him. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, real quick note, a lot of times you're like, how come that wasn't like a big uproar? How come people didn't just like take up Judas right then? Apparently what was happening is there was a lot of conversations going around the table, and only John was kind of privy to what Jesus said. And so here's the way, this, here's the, way the scene concludes. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And then the last verse says, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. Now, loved ones, why would I say that there's a little bit of Judas in you? Why would I say there's a little bit of Judas in me? Because when you read the story, all of the disciples in this story says when they were told somebody's going to betray him, it says they were uncertain. The other writer says, is it I? Is it I? It's a lack of confidence. Maybe it's helpful to realize what the word betray means. The word betray means literally, it means to give over, to switch teams, or to switch sides, or to sell. 
to switch teams, to sell, or to give over. Matthew's account says, all of you, all you disciples, you will all fall away. And all of the disciples, at some point, they did fall away before the resurrection. And so I thought it might be helpful to sort of do a litmus test based on just Judas's life to parallel maybe some challenges we have. And what I want you to hear is, it's not the fact that we struggle with these, it's actually the fact that we actually never deal with these. So what are some things that uh, were in Judas's life that also can be in our life? Let me give you five, there's probably 50, but here's five that kind of just jumped out. Number one is uh, I might have, I have some Judas in me when I downplay my commitment to Jesus when I am around certain types of people or certain friend groups. I'm a different person when I'm at church or at student camp than I am on my ball team or at my country club. I can kind of switch, I can put on the different masks based on whom I'm around. And that's what Judas was. Judas was one way when he was around the disciples, hey, this is great, three and a half years. He was another way when he got around the religious leaders whom he feared. Number two, that I don't follow God's most basic instruction on generosity. I don't even follow the most basic rules of generosity. I know that gets about, that gets about 95% of us. 2.5% of Christians in the West, or Christians give 2.5% of their income to any kind of charity, any kind. That's in the West. Loved ones, that percentage actually goes up in a nation like, let's say, Africa. People talk about the blind spots of our past. A lot of times people will look at the Old Testament and they're like, how does a guy like David, who is a man after God's own heart, have such a blind spot when God clearly does not endorse polygamy and yet he still has polygamy? How could he miss that? What a blind spot. I would never do that. Or we go back a few hundred years and we look at some Christians who somehow twisted the scriptures to say slavery of other people was okay. Like, how in the world could they think that? And it was horribly wrong. My conviction is if you could fast forward 50, 60, 80 years from now, they're going to look at our generation, the most wealthy generation that has ever lived, that gives 2.5% to anybody besides themselves and says that's their blind spot. Materialism is their blind spot. And so uh, that's what Judas, Judas was the treasurer. He was the CFO. He skimmed money off of the top. He sold it for 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, I didn't know this, but in the Old Testament, the price for a slave was also 30 pieces of silver. And so how ironic it was, how providential it was, that what he actually sold the Son of God for was a picture of what they used to enslave people for. And here's Judas not even knowing that his price that he was selling was actually enslaving himself. Number three is I have regret without repentance. I'm so sorry I did that. I wish I hadn't have done that. Next day happens. I'm so sorry I did that. I wish I hadn't have done that. Same thing. Next day, same song, third verse. I'm so sorry. I wish I hadn't have done that. Fourth day, over and over. I regret it. I have, and we're going to talk about the difference here in a little bit without repentance. Here's another one. I know I need to get baptized, but I keep putting it off. You know why? Because that's your public statement of I'm on team Jesus. I've trusted what Jesus did on the cross. He's now the boss of me. Judas's public statement, listen to me, 
Judas's public statement shows up in chapter 18 when he shows up with all of his new friends, gives Jesus a betrayal kiss, and that culture, that was like, this is my friend, this is my pretend friend to identify him. Your symbol, my symbol to say I'm on team Jesus is baptism. Here is a, uh, and then one more, it's like I have an area where I just refuse to trust God in. Again, it's sometime it's, uh, sometime it is our, sometime it's our kids. Again, a lot of students got called to ministry this week. Got called to ministry this week. And I understand it's a little bit of a struggle. I, mean, I distinctly remember when one of our sons felt called to foreign missions when he was in high school. He isn't called, he is in ministry, but when he initially was like, you know what, I'm going to go overseas. And part of me was like, yes, that's my boy. Part of me was like, I won't get to see you very often. I won't get to see little Elsie Grace. And then, uh, but it happens all over the place. You're not married. You're uh, 29 and you're not married and the biological clock is ticking and you're, you're worried about that. And then you compromise your values because you won't trust God to actually bring, a, bring about the person that God has for you. And um, I would just say this. Uh, you're like, well, is, Judas is, he's changing. He's not changing. It's just revealing his character. One last warning, and then we're going to get to some awesome news. The thing that jumped out this week was the fact that Judas had every single advantage you could possibly hope for to, to finish strong. He had every advantage. I mean, think about the advantages he had. I mean, he went to Jesus Seminary, all right? For three and a half years, he gets to witness all of this amazing stuff. He gets to hear the best preacher ever, obviously Jesus. He gets to see the miracles. He gets to watch when Jesus prays. All of that stuff happens. So again, it reminds us that you can be a great Bible scholar and read the Bible, and we should all the time, but it's not a foolproof for you and I to not put the cart in the ditch someday. He had good community. Now listen, all the time we're talking about get in community, get in connect groups. Probably the most damaging thing that COVID has done is the fact that so many of our folks, you've gotten out of community. But even community is not foolproof. I mean, think about the community that Judas had. I mean, Peter was in his connect group. Peter, the, the Peter, wrote first and second Peter. John wrote John. First, second, third John, revelation of all books, there in his connect group, but it still wasn't enough. And so when you look at him, here's what it ends up being. And I need you to hear the difference. When buildings fall, they can fall one of two ways. They can fall by explosion or implosion. Explosion is visible and obvious and outward. If you see a building that's going to get knocked down and it's going to explode, they might take a big crane and hammer that thing, hammer that thing. Everybody sees it coming and hits the building over and 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 over again, and then pretty soon it's gone. Or, like Judas, it can be implosion. Implosion takes weeks, months, if not years in the planning. The only evidence that you see on the outside is maybe some caution tape around the building, but with one switch and one day at one moment, the whole thing comes down. That's implosion. Implosion is what happens most of the time. Now, I read about 10 commentaries this week, all pontificating about why Judas did what he did. Why did Judas do, why did Judas do what he did? 
And there were some good points. The problem is the Bible really doesn't tell us. It just doesn't. Now, there's some good points. He was disappointed that Jesus wasn't the Messiah that everybody had hoped for. He didn't come in and kick the tail of the Romans and everything, bring in this kingdom where Israel... I agree with that, but so did the other people, and they didn't betray him. Not like this. The Bible tells us who. It tells us how. It tells us when. It tells us where. It just doesn't really tell us why. Some of the warnings, though, are it typically starts small. Just stuff that's not a big deal. In his case, probably started skimming off the top a little bit, just taking a little bit out of the offering bag. No big deal. Then he took a little bit more. Well, hey, I want to buy Mrs. Judas something kind of nice. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. In John 13, apparently he started small enough where the other people didn't notice. Because earlier in this chapter, did you see, what it, you see what he said? When they're like, hey, he's sending Judas off. Do you see what all the disciples thought? He's going to help the poor. Man, good old Judas, that's the kind of guy he is. He's going to help the poor. You started to see the cracks in the foundation, though, actually a chapter earlier in John chapter 12 in a great story where a lady comes and she puts that whole expensive perfume over Jesus, anointing him. And Judas is, they, they all get mad, but Judas is the one gets angry. It's like, that could have been sold. We could have done something with that. But then John, looking back, says, you know what? All he wanted to do was skim off the top. You know things are starting to boil to the surface when the stuff you tried to keep hitting starts to boil to the top, and then people begin to notice. You know why? Because sin never wants to stay small. Please listen to me. Sin never wants to stay in the corner. Sin never wants to be relegated. Okay, you stay over here in the corner, and I'm just going to manage you. John Owen, the Puritan preacher, says, listen, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. James chapter 1 says sin is like this little thing. It starts over here, but then it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. We've talked about it. It's like those those people that get those little lions, and they're so cute and cuddly when they're, they're like, hey, I'm a lion guy, and I got to, you can make these Instagram videos, and look at the little lion. And then the lion gets bigger, and the Instagram videos get more and more awesome, and that you get this massive lion, and look at him, and he puts his paws up on you. You and I know it is just a matter of time, what? We're going to read that the lion is full. Why? Because at some point, a lion's going to lion. That's what he's going to do. A lion's going to act like a lion. Lions eat, and he's going to eat him at some point. Sin is just, sin's going to grow. Sin is not content staying small. And so with Judas, it starts small. And actually, one of the uh, texts says it, it was after that deal where the lady comes and is so generous. It says, then, then Peter, or then Judas actually betrayed and went and said, 30 pieces of silver and I'll do it. Now, here's the one big application. Here's the one big thought I want you to hear today. We always think of Judas as the betrayer. But even in this story, even in this account, it's not just Judas. Did you see that other guy that made a little cameo here in about verse 24? This guy named Simon Peter. I would submit that Simon Peter and Judas Iscariot do basically the same thing. You got two men. You've got... Very similar actions, you've got very different conclusions. 
If you don't know the Bible or if you're you're new to Bible study, here's what Peter basically does. Jesus says, you're going to betray me. You're going to disown me. You're going to disavow me. Peter's like, I don't know. All these other bozos, they might. You can count on me. All right? You can count on me. And he's like, you know what? You're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. Sure enough, fast forward, cock-a-doodle-doo. That's exactly what he does. Betrays him three times. What you have to understand is, listen, you're going to hear that rooster sometime. You, the rooster is going to crow. If you're a Christ follower, you're going to hear the rooster crow. And what you do at that moment makes all of the difference. What do I do when that rooster crows? Both of them betrayed. Both of them switched sides for that moment. Both of them felt bad. The Bible says Peter went out and it says, quote, he wept. He wept bitterly. Here's what Judas did. Matthew 27 says, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, quote, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and he hanged himself. Now, here's what you've got to understand. One ran to Jesus and was changed and made a huge difference. One ran from Jesus, was not changed, and he went out and he made a noose. Same action, same remorse, two different paths. So here's what you gotta understand. If you're a Christ follower, when God convicts you of sin, His goal for you, listen, is deliverance. It is not destruction. His goal for you is to set you free, not to bind you up. It is not to pay you back. Jesus already paid for that on the sin, on the cross. When he convicts you, it is to bring you back, not to pay you back. And what you do when the rooster crows is going to make all the difference. Because you know the basic question that both Judas and Peter had were the exact same question. Could a holy and righteous God forgive me for my sin against Jesus Christ? Now if you're not a believer yet, what you have to understand is that that is an invitation to you. It's an invitation. You don't have to be condemned at all. Jesus was condemned for you. If you will just reach out by faith and say, you know what, what he did on the cross counted for me. You might know John 3, 16. John 3, 17 is like, listen, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to take the judgment on myself. But as a Christ follower, if you're already a Christ follower, you still need to understand this. Most of the time, here's what Christians think. We think repentance is for the especially bad Christian. Repentance is not for the especially bad Christian. Repentance is for the normal Christian. The way you grow is through repentance. So what's the difference between Peter and Judas? What's the difference between deliverance and bondage? What's the difference between forgiveness and condemnation? Here's a couple of things that are similar. Uh, Both were embarrassed. Both felt shame. Both felt grief. And that's actually not bad. I know we live in a time that's like, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. The Bible teaches there is such a thing as godly grief. Godly grief. 
Godly grief is the fact that, you know what, God's in this. God has brought this conviction. God has brought this to mind, just like he has right now in some of our lives. Like, here's a specific thing. And just understand, when God brings conviction, he brings it specifically. Okay, this is what, this is what it is. This is how you talk to your wife. This is what you looked at on the website. This is the person you're flirting with at work. This is whatever. It is specific. Here's what you got to understand about even conviction. Man, this is, a, this is like, this was like the, ah, for me this week, okay? Conviction or godly grief or guilt, God, there's good guilt and there's bad guilt. Good guilt is from God to bring you back. When God pinpoints an area and, and puts his finger in your chest and said, I want to deal with this, that is, think of it like this, that's, that's not the destination. The destination, it's a tunnel through the mountain. Godly grief is the tunnel that you go through to get to the bright side. I mean, picture being up on the parkway. If you're up on the parkway, you got those, you know, how, how, who knows how many tunnels? I don't know if you, I don't even know how many tunnels. I know this. Somebody invited me to ride a bike up there. It's like, hey, let's go ride bikes up there. I was like, no, 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 no. Why? Because those tunnels are dark. The shoulders are this big. And I'm like, bad things happen in that tunnel. I'm not going to that tunnel. I get a little spooked even going in there with the car. Do you, you know, the, do the lights come on? I, you don't know any of that. Point is this. Once you get through the tunnel, is it not just a little brighter on the, the backside? It's like, that's amazing. Look how bright that is. When you think of godly grief, repentance is not, again, repentance is going through. It's going through the tunnel to a better side. So here's what I'm going to just challenge you with. Peter had the brokenness and the humility, and he fell on the mercy of God Okay, this is, this is the, okay. the sin, and you have to have this happen as a Christian. In Peter's case, sin broke his heart, but didn't break his faith. It broke his heart. That's okay. It's okay. It's actually good. If you get, if you get cut and you feel that, that is a sign that everything's working good in your body. There's nothing wrong with like, oh, if you get cut and you don't feel it, you're like, hey, you, don't, you got a massive cut. Oh, I didn't even see it. People are like, what's wrong with you? Peter felt the grief, the humility, and the brokenness, but he then, from his brokenness, went to belief. And his progression in the gospel is amazing. Remember early on in Peter's life, they're out there fishing, and Jesus does this, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Ah, okay, whatever. He throws it on the other side of the boat, brings in all these fish, and then he understands about how awesome Jesus is, and he's like, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. That's like right at the start of his understanding of the gospel. Depart. I I'm running. Get away from me. And that's the way it starts. That's the holiness of God. But then here, you see him running to God. I mean, Peter is that, you know, he hears the rooster crow, but as soon as he hears about the resurrection, remember how he just runs to the tomb? He's actual competition with John. I mean, they're running and running and he's like, boom, I'm going to go past you. He goes into the tomb first. What happens in John 21 when he sees Jesus on the beach? He actually jumps out of the boat, swims as fast as he can, not the other direction, but toward Jesus. When you and I are convicted, if you have a deep saturation of the gospel, you will go you will go toward Jesus, not away. Repentance is I am standing on Jesus' record, not my own. 
And because of what he did on the cross, my failures are not final. And um, what did Judas do? Judas is broken, he's prideful, and he's embarrassed. And probably thinking about all the times, three and a half years of investing in his life, the foot washing, and the whole time, Jesus is extending the opportunity, and because of many things, Judas never, never repented. You know, one of the most amazing things is, is that there's this deal called, I think he pronounced it the correct, correct. And basically what it is, everybody's like, why did he dip the, in that culture, when you would dip something in the oil and you would hand it to somebody, believe it or not, you would actually hand it to the person that you most wanted to honor. And so right up until the very last, Jesus is giving Judas opportunity, 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 opportunity to repent. And at the very, wash his feet. Even when he comes with all the guards, he calls them a friend. It's like uh, opportunity. And here's the deal. God has given us a lot of opportunities to repent. And when you don't repent, whether that, whatever that is, whatever God has poked into your heart, when you and I choose to, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to think about it, when is this guy going to finish? When is it going to happen? What happens is when God speaks to you and you ignore it, and he speaks to you and you ignore it, eventually his voice gets a little bit softer. And you, you're not able to hear the voice of the God who made you and loved you. Don't hear him. Very, it's like in the Old Testament, you got that Pharaoh over and over and over again. It said, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then at the very end, it said, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you're like, you're a church today. I don't know why you came. Maybe you came to just see a friend get baptized or something happened. And I'm telling you, God is speaking to a lot of our hearts and saying, listen, this is the time. You don't run from me anymore. You've run from me long enough. You run to me. For some of you, again, it's the first time, and it's like, you know what? I want to get on Team Jesus. What he did on the cross counted for me. For a ton of us, you know what it is? It's a specific thing. God is saying, you know what? If you don't deal with this now, this is like the, this is why you came to church. To say, you know what? I'm not leaving my spouse. I'm not doing it. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to disciple my kids. I'm going to go back to serving, whatever it is. 